The Old Testament reading for this evening comes from Isaiah chapter 66. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pul, and Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands afar off, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations, and they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord, on horses and in chariots and in litters, and on mules and dromedaries, to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the Israelites bring their grain offerings in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord, and some of them also will I take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain, from new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. Glory, Glory to you, Lord. Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know from where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out, and people will come from east and west and from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Christ. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. Someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Worry about yourself. That isn't probably a statement or a command you would hear in many churches. It might sound a little bizarre, but in the context and by the end of the sermon, I think you'll understand why I titled the sermon in this way. Last Sunday, our gospel lesson, also from the Gospel of Luke, taught, taught us about the serious division that comes into this world because of Jesus. It isn't a division that he caused, but his very coming into the world exposes it. It's the division between those who seek God and those who avoid him. 
And what we hear tonight in our gospel is something even as troubling as that division. And that is simply the reality that the division is not 50-50. The division is much worse than that. More, the Bible tells us, will be lost than will be saved. And there's a tremendous amount of things that have been said about this text. And if you want to, I guess... uh, on your, in your own way, if you want to dig around on the internet or YouTube, you'll find a, a wide spectrum of interpretations of this passage. Um, on the one hand, you'll have people that just think, everybody's going to be saved. I don't know what Jesus is talking about. He's crazy here, of course. Or he didn't say it. That's always the easy cop out there. Or uh, you'll have this other extreme of people that almost take uh, glee in the fact that most people are going to hell and will spend forever there. Um, we're not uh, certainly going to go in either of those two terrible directions. But we're going to go in the direction that Jesus leads us. And it is uncomfortable, but it, it is something that we need to know. There's a reason why God... God spoke these words, why Jesus spoke them. We'll never really be able to understand the why of this question, but we, we have to see the reality of it. We, we see it in God's Word, but we also clearly see it in the world that we look at every day. Well, let me begin with this, which even raises the bar of seriousness even higher, and that's before we tackle the question, uh, will few be saved? And and why not? Why, why will uh, not many be saved? Let's also ask ourselves the question about hell. Is there a hell? Well, the question certainly implies that there is a hell. I mean, what are we being saved from, after all? And then later in the text, Jesus clearly talks about hell. He's saying there, there is an eternal separation uh, between those who, who aren't God's people and those who are God's people. And this is the big warning that Jesus lays down. Now, as I said before, I do not say that glibly or joyfully, but sadly. It is a sad, sad reality. On the other hand, while we should never say this glibly or joyfully, the reality is, is that there are many people in the world who do glibly and joyfully and scornfully and laughingly reject these words of Jesus, this warning about hell and this reality that few are actually saved. Those who think that way think that way because they maybe deny that God exists or they have this um, idolatrous view of God that's nothing, that's a God that's nothing like the God that we read about in the Bible at all. Um, and to all of those people who deny this reality of God's divine judgment and his separation between those who fear, love, and trust in him above all things and those who do not, those folks need to wrestle in their own hearts and in their own minds over something that I know they're always concerned about. These are always the very same people who rant and rave and scream and stomp their feet about what? About injustice in the world, about the wars, about the poverty, but of all the things that are wrong in this world, and they they want to get those things fixed. Where is justice? Whose justice, the question really becomes, 
And that is what lies at the real root of all those things. It shows us that if we really want there to be peace on earth, it's not coming through human beings. It means there must be a God. There, it means that there must be a God who has given all of us the same conscience and the same understanding of right and wrong and so on, and one who will enforce that justice at the end of this age. There is a reality of hell, and that makes this question about how many are saved even more serious. Let's take a look at the question now and talk about it and think about it a little bit. Jesus' answer is disturbing when he says, many will strive to enter the narrow way but will not be able. He speaks about this. This is not only recorded in Luke, but in uh, Matthew and so on. And so there are many other places in the Bible that speak to this, this very issue. It's really disturbing, though, to me. In fact, totally heartbreaking. And I hate to even think about it, but when we come to these gospel lessons, we have to think about it. And as I said, there will be a reason for that. But before I get to that, a uh, reminder to you that in June, uh, my wife and daughter came home from a trip to Germany, and so we had to go through that ordeal that some of you have been through before, going through customs at O'Hare Airport in Chicago. And I don't know what happened, I don't know if it happens like this every day, but on that day, there were over, there had to be over 500 people getting off international flights and winding away this snaking line of people that went through all these different hallways at the airport and finally led to this huge room and there were all these custom agents and everyone was lined up, you know, zigzagging on that line and finally getting up to those agents where you could show your passport, prove that you were an American citizen and to be allowed back into this country. I was amazed at that line of people. I bet I heard 25 different languages being spoken while I was making my way through that serpentine line. Sadly, right in front of me as I got to my particular customs agent, there was a young man, a college-age boy, and he was in tears. And I kind of knew what that was all about. He probably lost his passport. And he was facing the reality of, you don't just walk into this country unless you have the right paperwork, unless you have the passport. Now, I'm sure it probably got worked out in the end for him, but he was going through a really, really rough time. And that's the reality that Jesus is talking about here in this lesson today. People aren't going to waltz into heaven on their own, with their own ideas, with their own kind of morality, as though heaven is just going to be an extension of earth with all of its sin and evil and ugliness and, and so on. Jesus tells us that there is a way of salvation. We just sang about that in that beautiful hymn. And it is only through that way, that narrow way of salvation that I will explain and define for, very carefully for you in just a moment, that people must pass through before they will be in heaven. Now Jesus says, Depart from me, all you workers of evil. And here's where I want you to begin to understand this passage. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, Depart from me, 
all you workers of much evil. This is also a big misconception that people have about hell. They think, yeah, Hitler and Stalin and Pol Pot and a few other guys like that will be in hell. He doesn't say much evil. He just says evil. And this is the dividing line. The dividing line is that of sin. Literally in the original language, he says workers of unrighteousness. God is righteous, and He calls His people to righteousness. Some may try hard to do that. There are atheists who try very hard at being righteous, and and sometimes they do a pretty good job, sometimes even better than Christians. And there are some who don't try so hard. But both of them have the same problem. Both of them have the same condition, and that is they still have sin, which needs to be forgiven with repentance and faith in Christ. This is the whole reason Christ came into this world. Not just to teach us how to try harder, but to die on the cross for sins that we could not atone for by ourselves. And to give us something we have not earned and something we did not deserve. And that's God's love and God's forgiveness, and God's holiness, without which no one will ever see God. The problem with that vast majority of people that Jesus is talking about here in Luke chapter 13 is this, that for whatever reason, they don't deal with their sins. Maybe they accept them. Maybe they think a few sins are okay. Maybe they think they've compensated for those sins and that makes everything okay. Whatever their philosophy is, whatever their idea is, it's not going to get them into heaven. It's a false passport. And this is why God repeatedly tells us what needs to be on that passport. Repeatedly tells us what He wants of us in our lives. And here's where I'm going to define carefully the narrow way. It is the thing you hear. If you come to this church regularly, you hear about it all of the time. We've already experienced it in our worship service this morning as well, this evening as well. The narrow way is simply repentance and forgiveness in the cross of Christ and the good works that spring up voluntarily from the faith that God has given to us. John the Baptist began introducing the kingdom of God by warning all of those people who came out into the wilderness to hear him preach that the axe is already laid to the root of the tree, to the unfruitful tree, to the tree that represents the people who are workers of unrighteousness, workers of evil, people who have not dealt with their sins according to God's grace. And so John the Baptist was, what was he doing? He was baptizing, a baptism of repentance. Leading them then to Jesus and pointing out that he is the Lamb of God. Who does what? Our passport. Takes away the sin of the world. This is the narrow way that God calls us to. And it's all over every single page of Scripture. It is this that the majority rejects. And why they reject it, I don't know. Probably out of pride. They just don't want to bend the knee. 
in repentance and believe in the cross of Christ as the only way of salvation. Now, as I said, though, okay, that's our basic understanding, and that's about as far as we dare to go in trying to figure this out. But as I said, there's a reason for us that Jesus wants us to be troubled by this reality, and here's why. Now we come to this other important word, strive. Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door. And that means he wants us to do these things I just mentioned, to repent, to find forgiveness, to bring forth the fruit of faith in our lives. Again, another way to say the narrow way is living by the Ten Commandments, the Gospel that we have in the Apostles or Nicene Creed, and the Lord's Prayer, the prayer for the life of the faithful. And you might stop for a minute. I did when I was thinking about this and said, well, you know, that ought to be easy. It's all good. The commandments are good. The gospel, of course, is good. And the Lord's Prayer leads us absolutely in the right direction. What's so hard about that? Well, it is a good thing, and it should be easy, but there's something else involved. And this is why Jesus uses the word to strive. And what he's speaking about here are the enemies, the enemies of faith. I could say that walking down a sidewalk is one of the easiest things in the world to do. Unless you're sick. Unless you're facing hurricane force winds. Unless there's some enemy with a gun standing in the way about to kill you. Then all of a sudden, passing through that sidewalk becomes very, very difficult. And this is why Jesus says few will be saved and why we have that narrow door. But that narrow door calls us to some striving and some struggling. Because we have a sinful nature, a sick nature in ourselves that causes us not to want to come to church, not to want to hear the Word of God, not to pray, not to do the good things for others without credit or compensation. We also live in a world that just slams us and floods us with words and images that do nothing more than create sinful thoughts and desires in our hearts. And then finally... The reality of evil. It rises up in front of us all the time, this insanity we're seeing in our culture where they blatantly say that evil is good and good is evil, just as the prophets predicted long, long ago. No one likes to be in the few, and no one likes to have to strive like Jesus says, but that is the way it is. In fact, the word striving here in Greek is agnizo, And it gives us in English the word agony. This is the word of the athlete striving in his or her discipline. This is the word of the soldier striving with courage. This is the word of the Christian striving in their faith. Striving to overcome these enemies. To come to church even though sometimes we don't want to. To cut back or to filter out certainly the television and the media that often want to mess with our minds. To control the gossip that we might hear and to strain and strive to resist passing it along to somebody else only to make things worse. It is the striving that we do when in our families we don't just continually blame everybody else for everything that's wrong in in the living room or the kitchen or the bedroom or whatever but that we try to do good, and we do good for one another with our husbands and wives and children and parents. And then when we do face the 
ultimate accuser or even just his acolytes. In Hebrew, the word Satan means accuser. When we face those who look at us and say, you are evil because of the things you believe, this Jesus you follow, that is when we are going to have to strain and we're going to have to strive and there will be some agnizo, some agony involved, no doubt. As I said, this gospel lesson is troubling. I don't like to hear that only few will be saved, but Jesus clearly said it, and it is the obvious reality that we see in the world around us. As I looked at that crowd in Chicago, I just wondered how many of them believed in Jesus. But the mystery is not something we need to worry about. Rather, we just need to worry about ourselves. And I don't mean that in the sense that we worry whether or not we're saved. We are saved. God has accomplished that for us. But I use the word worry here in the sense of we're going to be serious about this. We're going to strive knowing that God is just. He will take care of that mystery. We don't have to worry about how many on this side or that side. Let's just worry on which side we are on. And let's walk in the ways that God has called us to and placed us on, chosen us. There's our theme for the school year this year from 1 Peter. You are a chosen people, chosen out of the vast majority of all of the world, from every nation and every language. Chosen for what? For forgiveness, for faith, for holiness. Firmly believing that God saves those who pass through the narrow door of repentance, forgiveness of sins, and the striving to obey His will. Amen. Please rise.